We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Good morning. It is 11.09 here on WBEM. Brian Mazeroski here with you for another hour, and then uh, you're through with me for the day. Uh, but I'm uh, joined in studio by Steve Boyd, uh, attorney, and Charlie Specht, investigative reporter over at Channel 7. Of course, talking about everything that's gone on over the last uh, day plus in the Buffalo Diocese, the resignation of Bishop Richard Malone, the appointment of Apostolic Administrator Edward Scharfenberger, and what this means for everybody moving forward. And we're taking your calls at 3930 as well to talk about this. I wanted to open up, though, this hour with the two of you because you're both uh, very open about your past um, in the Catholic Church, uh, about your upbringing in the Catholic Church, and uh, your present in the Catholic Church. And uh, wanting to know with how that, uh, Steve, we'll start with you, played into the work you're doing now. If there was anything inside you that said, Maybe this will be more difficult for me. Am I going to be able to really do the job I'm supposed to do here while coming from the inside of this institution now I'm now looking at? So I was an altar boy at St. Martin's. I went to Canisius College. When I graduated, I went to work for the diocese for two years in their TV program. My boss was Father Art Smith, who's listed. I was partnered on a TV show that aired on Saturdays at Channel 7 with Mary Travers. And I was a faithful Catholic. And in 93, when we did our first stories, it was a real struggle because I felt internally like I was betraying my church. And I remember there was a, uh, a point where we had our story of these three survivors confirmed. We knew that one of the priests had confessed to the Niagara County District Attorney, so we knew that our story was rock solid, and we needed a reaction from the bishop. And I happened to know that he was going to be at the cathedral for this 8 p.m. Christmas choir event because it was an event that I went to every year. And we met him outside with the cameras and we asked him questions. And he described the nameless, faceless accusers. And I remember the personal struggle then because I had worked for Bishop Head and I loved Bishop Head. I was proud to work for Bishop Head. And it was hard. It was something that I went to see my priest about. And my priest at the time who passed uh, within the last month, Father Bill Gallagher, just told me, you just be true. You stay true to yourself and stay true to your faith. And so I've tried to do that throughout. And then uh, that experience, having done that as a reporter, I think made it easier to transition when this all began as, a, as an attorney uh, about two years ago because I had had that experience, but I had shared that with Charlie the first time we met. And um, I think as a Catholic, you have to struggle with it, because it's, um, I think it's better if you struggle with it, right? Because you force yourself to hold yourself to the highest standard possible. Charlie, for you, I'd imagine uh, you had some of those same feelings. Yeah, it's 
really tough, to be honest. Um, and I had no idea, Steve, that you knew Father Bill Gallagher um, recently passed, but he's probably the main reason I'm, I'm still a Catholic right now. He was welcomed me into his church every week and made me feel so welcome. And, you know, if any other parishioners had said something bad about me, you know, they were going to hear it from Father Bill. I um, Now that he's gone, I can tell you that he was a phenomenal source of mine also and um, tried exposing a lot of these uh, abuses years ago, and the diocese did not want to hear it. They they told him that he was becoming the problem because he was trying to turn in a lot of these pedophile priests. Um, so I talked with him a lot, and actually a lot of my best sources were priests. Helped me through this. Um, I became <clears throat> I'm a, I'm a <clears throat> Catholic. Uh, growing up, I went to St. Martin's uh, grade school. I went to um, Catholic college at St. Bonaventure, and became close with a lot of friars. My brother right now is actually. I think people know, is actually becoming a Catholic priest. He's in his second year to become a Franciscan friar. So we have some interesting conversations, um, but we've both supported, we've, we've you know, we, we have always supported each other. His attitude is, I want to be one of the good ones, and you're trying to get rid of the bad ones. So, um, but it, it has been, you know, personally tough. I never felt like I was attacking my church because, I'm a Catholic, and the 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 pedophiles who are doing this and the bishops who are covering it up are not the church. I was always taught by my family, my mom and dad, that the, the church is the people and the people in the pews, and that they are doing something to our church that is that is not of the Catholic church. It's not what Jesus would have wanted. Now, I will tell you the struggle comes from me and that a lot of priests in this diocese and a lot of people connected to the diocese have tried to make me feel like I was doing the wrong thing. I have gotten messages, emails from priests. Currently, just about every day here, I get a voicemail from from somebody that I suspect is connected to the diocese, sort of harassing me, you know, saying they're going to um, expose me and, you know, your brother's a priest, you're not a real Catholic for doing this. You know, there's there's actually uh, some criminal investigations going into the harassment here. People have showed up in my house. It's been, like, tough. But that ugliness has just convinced me that there is a true rot in, in, in the diocese here and that a lot of the, whether it's priests or, or other people, that they're, they're protecting the institution and they've lost all sight of that. Um, at one point I did think, you know, my kids were in Catholic school, and I'm, I'm learning about, you know, the sex lives of priests that are in the same, you know, church or school that my kids are going. And this is getting way too close to home. And uh, I did fear, you know, that what if they try to use my kids as leverage or something. So I pulled my kids out of Catholic school, to be honest. Um, but we've made the decision that, that we are going to remain Catholic. Um, I go to church now the pastor who, who welcomes me and has actually thanked me. Um, but I will, I've been able to keep my faith because of people like, you know, Kevin and Gary that you've heard, people like Siobhan O'Connor, all the good people inside the Catholic Center. There's so many good people who work for the diocese. And they told me to keep going and that this wasn't who they were. And I think that yesterday when I went up in that building, people were like smiling and, and happy and there was there was a new energy there, and, and it kind of reaffirmed for me that, hey, we're doing the right thing, and you can remain a Catholic and still want your church to be a better place. Mm-hmm. 
I, uh, I have not gone to one meeting for the movement to restore trust. And yesterday after the news conference, I decided I'm going this Saturday for the first time because I've really felt like I didn't belong there. And I didn't want to go there as somebody who's, you know, who's an attorney up against the church. But, you know, I, uh, I did some interviews yesterday and I was, I met Paul Snyder for the first time and, um, and we had a nice talk and, and, um, so I've decided on Saturday at 9 at Canisius, I'm going to go to the first meeting of the movement to restore trust for me because I do want the church to succeed. And I, I think that the good works in the diocese have to go forward. Our community depends on the good works, not just of the Catholic Church in Buffalo, but of, of many, many churches throughout western New York. I think it's important work. And I think, as I've said many times before, the Catholic people of Buffalo want this diocese to succeed and that can only happen if we move through this era and into the next era. Uh, some people will come at, uh, Charlie, you mentioned it, uh, and Steve, I'm sure you get a lot of the comments too. You know, why are you attacking the church? You're relentless in attacking the church. But, you know, I like to frame it in the same way where if, uh, you know, I'm thinking back to a few years ago, uh, there was a meth lab found under the uh, parking lot of a Walmart. When we reported on it, we weren't attacking a Walmart. We were, you know, it was covering the story of a crime that just so happened to be at a particular place. And this could have happened at a different church. This could be, um, and we know that the story's been covered of what has gone on in other organizations. It's, this is just one of the organizations, whether it be the Boy Scouts, whether it be other public schools that, uh, you know, Steve, I'm sure you can uh, mention uh, that, you've dealt with victims uh, personally. This is just one of the organizations where this has gone. It just so happens that uh, some of the people higher up knew about certain things, and it might dive a little deeper than it just happened in the building, but it's not going after an institution as much as it is covering a story and, you know, defending victims in many cases. There, you want to talk about a culture of abuse. There was a huge culture of abuse in different public schools. Going back years, Kenmore Town Tonawanda School District. We look at that. We looked at other public schools, and we've actually done stories on those and covered them just the same. Um, you know, the, about I think eighty percent of the um, lawsuits have been filed in Western New York under the Child Victims Act are the are against the Catholic Diocese. So, I, I think we're giving it the the kind of coverage that that is, you know, it's in perspective here of, of indicative of the percentage of the problem here. But sh certainly this is not something that is, you know, unique only to the Catholic Church. There are unique circumstances of it, but it happened in public schools, it happens in Boy Scouts, it happened in almost every organization you can, you can think of here. Public schools, private schools, Nichols, Park School. I think this community is going to find out in the next year or so that the Kenmore School District in the 1970s was an absolute train wreck. And there is going to be a long list of people who will come forward. Um, my old partner, Chris O'Brien, represents over 30 people who were abused as fifth graders at Hoover Elementary. We represent several people who were abused in Kenmore West. The Niagara Falls High School I had two predators who lived together. Um, it was a game to see what young high school teenage girls they could make their conquests. 
all of this is going to come out. So you're going to find out you're exactly right, Brian. This is not just a Catholic problem, but it's not just a public school problem. It's a private school problem, too. It's a problem in society. And our hope as we bring these cases forward is that this becomes so offensive to society that people respect the mandatory reporting laws that have been in place since the 1970s. The teachers, when they know something, will say something because under the law they have to. And, and that there will be a societal change because that societal change brings about more safety for kids today and for kids in the future. Let's uh, head now to the phones. And uh, Chuck and Clarence has been waiting for some time. Chuck, you're on WBEN. Yeah, I, I had two questions, but I just thought of one when Charlie was talking and, and Steve Boyd. Um, I wondered, you guys were talking about the public schools. Isn't that tougher because they don't keep the records? Isn't that what I read in the Buffalo News? Well, you know, in, in the public schools, there are mandatory reporting laws. So if, if another teacher finds out about uh, some abuse, they have a requirement to report it. And I believe that the school administrations are supposed to report these things to the New York State Department of Education. So yeah, I it, read that the Buffalo, the Buffalo schools, I think in particular, did not keep their records. I don't know if that's true or not. I read it in the in the news, and I was kind of shocked by that. I thought, wow, there's going to be no archive for them to go go back. But but anyway, here's my here's my two questions for you for you gentlemen. Uh, how many uh, priests? teachers, whatever you, whatever you guys are representing, accused have been exonerated, if you know a number. And what is the typical, typical percentage, uh, dollar, dollar percentage that you guys would make on a case? And those are my questions. Thanks. Um, the, thank you, uh, Chuck, from uh, Clarence. Steve, I, I think that is um, you know, something a lot of people are wondering, is the money involved sure. in, in this? And that is kind of the elephant in the room for a lot of people who are skeptical of all sides of things when they look at, you know, okay, is this action worth this amount of money to this person so many years later? Well, I mean, the the, the money amount that the, the person will receive down the road is, is um, you know, I don't think we're ready to address that question, although I, I think if you look at other Diocese, the Diocese of Duluth just settled through bankruptcy, $40 million for 125 people. But I think the question there was how much money the lawyers make. Mm -hmm. So for all personal injury cases in New York State, the lawyers are allowed to charge 33 and one-third percent. One of the reasons why I partnered with Jeff Anderson and Associates is that through the IRCP program, we knew those were going to be much more simpler than a litigation, and we only charged 25 percent. Other lawyers still charge 33 and a third percent. We've had to add staff. We've added a lot of staff. I've almost doubled my staff and partnered with the Anderson firm that has continued to to add staff. So uh, that is the amount we charge. It's contingent. The reason for contingent fees is because most people in our society, and this has been throughout our democracy, most people could not afford to bring lawyers, uh, uh, pay lawyers uh, an hourly basis. And so if we lose the case, we don't make anything. So I have gone to trial on cases where we've, you know, we've put in, you know, thousands of hours, and the jury said no to our clients. So we don't make anything on those cases. So the I just want to be upfront about the percentages because there's no hiding it. We do make a, a contingent fee percentage on the case, and um, we're respectful uh, of the fact that that some people want to focus on 
oh, well, here's this accusation against my church. What are the lawyers up to? How much money are the lawyers Mm going to make? Well, our focus is on what happened in the moment, what happened in the sacristy or the basement of the church, what happened in the school, and then what happened to that person afterwards. And there is a sameness to to what we hear from all of these stories when somebody says, well, you know, I don't have any credibility because I was a drug addict. Well, you know what? A lot of my clients were drug addicts or... I'm a drunk. Uh, I'm still a drunk. You know what? A lot of my clients are drunks. Some are in the program, thankfully getting the help they need, and some haven't gotten there yet. All of my clients are broken at some level. And um, that's where we focus. We focus on the fact that this, this did happen. There was negligent retention and supervision of the diocesan employees, so there is a case against the diocese for the negligent acts that occurred when they just shuffled these guys around. And those are the cases. And, yes, the lawyers are going to make money. We're not doing this for free. And if anybody tells you we're doing it for free, they're lying to you. I'd rather just be upfront about it and let you know that we're doing this because a lot of people couldn't afford a lawyer. Um, as far as the amounts for whether it's settlements that have been reached or uh, lawsuits that might end up in court or, you know, through a bankruptcy court, um, it, I feel like that's something that's hard to say now because they varied quite a bit from a, a case-to-case basis, at least the settlements. Sure, because um, some people were abused on a single occasion, and they were able to come back from that. Maybe they got counseling early and they did well. Some people are accused are abused in a single occasion, and it breaks them because of what a betrayal it is and how greatly it changes them. Some people are abused over a period of years and years. I have a client who was abused for 14 years. I have a client who was abused at gunpoint. A client, the same one, abused with male prostitutes. So the levels of the abuse are one thing, but then the level of damage is what happens afterwards, what kind of life are they able to live afterwards is another thing. So all of those factors. And then what did the diocese know about this perpetrator? What did they know about it, and, and how did they fail to prevent it? That's another factor. Mm-hmm. So it is impossible to predict, predict the amounts. But it's not like, well, I gave you the example in Duluth. They settled 125 cases for $40 million. You don't divide 40 by 125, uh, forty million by 125 to find out how much everybody got because each case is handled differently. Um, I, I do want to, uh, we do have to stop for a break, but when we come back, I, I do want to get Charlie's input on, y- you know, some of uh, what we heard yesterday from Scharfenberger about priests who are accused and uh, who, you know, maybe it turns out that it was a false accusation because that was touched on in the, the news conference yesterday. And I do want to ask Charlie about that, but we do have to break. We have a break for the news one final time. It's 1127 on WBEN. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, 
tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Good morning. It's 1136 here on WBEN. I'm Brian Mesorowski, attorney Steve Boyd, and investigative reporter Charlie Speck from Channel 7 joining us live in studio roundtable discussion on uh, the past 24 hours, really the past uh, several years in the Buffalo Diocese and what exactly has gone on. We uh, left talking about, uh, we took a call talking about accused priests who uh, turn out, the accusations uh, turn out to be false. Uh, And Charlie, You've dealt with so many people, whether it be uh, past victims, whether it be priests themselves, uh, accused priests, um, exonerated uh, priests, if you will. What happens to those priests? How many uh, priests are there like that where there has been an accusation made and, you know, you can say that, no, this was a false accusation? So there's been kind of like, um, I would say, about a half dozen, quote unquote, exonerated priests, the the um, church doesn't use that language, that strong a language, but um, that's the language we use because I think it's the only word that people would really understand because right. um, some of the, the wording is, is sort of vague. Um, but the most um, visible case was the case of Father Roy Herberger, who was um, denied the allegations and, um, you know, people, he was a beloved priest um, known for keeping these manger sets and a priest of the poor, and he was... Um, he was accused and denied it from day one, and he was eventually, the diocese found the claim to be, um, to say that it, it, it could not be substantiated, which is different than saying it's a false accusation. Um, could not be substantiated, could fall into a lot of categories, such as we just didn't have enough evidence, there wasn't enough records. Now, he was put back in the parish, and um, to this day, we'll, we'll talk about how person was lying that accused him now you know um i hate to stop you in the middle of it but does that do a disservice in your mind that it is the church who does this investigation and uh, you know who is ultimately making the decision to return a priest to ministry because the faith that they are going to do the right thing is not necessarily there from everybody so uh, while the person very well maybe it was a great investigation by whoever was in charge of carrying that out within the church if you're somebody in the pew looking at this i mean are do you believe that that was the case if this uh, is happening over and over and over again if somebody is accused you know maybe you'd rather see somebody from the outside um exonerate that person it, it is as the credibility sort of wore away of the diocese here that that became a concern for a lot of people but there's really no alternative at this point because you think, well, who else would do it? The police, but it's not a crime because the statute limitations has run out, so they're not going to be looking at it. And any third party that you'd have to think the diocese would be hiring, so you don't mm-hmm. you don't solve that problem. Now, in the case of Father Roy, he's back in a parish, and um, but I, I I do know that the the uh, alleged victim of this still maintains that he, that he was abused. It's a truly a case where I don't know where the truth is. Maybe we'll never truly um, get to the get to the undisputable uh, bottom of it. But one thing that, you know, I told you that some of my sources were priests. Um, they had said to me, well, what, what's to say someone just doesn't come forward here and, and accuse me? And and um, we took that into account in our reporting. We made sure that um, the priest would say, you know, like, I can't get my name back ever, my good name. And we made sure that when a priest was exonerated, um, for the name of the sake of the victim and the priest, we didn't just take his name off the list of accused. We said, 
this is what he was accused of. This is what happened. He was exonerated. And then we made the and, and told the full story on our list. Then we also, I remember the night that Father Roy and Father Fred Lysing were both uh, quote unquote exonerated. And we said, we need to devote a whole story to this and call each priest because it's only fair we spent all this time covering the negative stuff. Right. It shouldn't just be a little blurb saying, oh, they're not guilty. You know, it, they should get the coverage and the chance to explain their side of the story. I uh, want to get to a few of the phone calls that we have lined up here. Kevin, you're on WBEN. Hey, guys. Good afternoon. Hey, Kevin. Morning, actually. This is uh, Kevin Koselniak, who's a member of the Buffalo Survivors Group. Kevin, yesterday's news, what was your reaction when you heard that the bishop was indeed stepping aside and uh, you heard everything that uh, the new person in charge had to say? Well, it was Bishop alone stepping aside, it, it was a step in the right direction. And it was the first step of many that need to be done yet. So, you know, it was, you know, the door has been opened. Now can the door be kicked wide open with Bishop Scharfenberger moving forward? Um, so that's really, you know, I, I didn't have any kind of emotion. I, I was hopeful that this day, you know, the day might come when Bishop Malone stepped aside. I really didn't know. He dug his feet in pretty heavily. And um, I just look at it as one step forward. And that's what that's the way it's going to be until you know change is made. All right. Um, is I'm trying to uh, kind of understand from a victim standpoint going forward. Do you want to have any role in the church? Um, is that something that has ever occurred to you to maybe seek out um, where? you can fit back in, or do you want no part in that? I'm not a practicing Catholic any longer. I believe in the higher power, you know, but this is just not about, um, you know, this is about helping survivors. This is about educating a community, because it is the community who makes up a church. Without parishioners, you just have priests. So this is about understanding that these are crimes that have been committed, these were not just a few bad apples or bad decisions, as Malone, Bishop Malone has said many times. And this is about empowering uh, survivors to find their voice, to hopefully maybe come forward, have the strength to talk about this, but also educating the community, and that's what the Buffalo Survivors Group is, is doing, educating the community about the symptoms that we have suffered for many years, and we will con- continue to suffer from the day till the day we die. It's not just the abuse that happens. You know, there's a lot of research that says, actually, all of the symptoms that we suffer from, all the trauma, is actually worse than the abuse happening itself. Well, Kevin, uh, we appreciate the time and uh, appreciate the call that is uh, Kevin calling in, and uh, it opens up a phone line. Still a few minutes to get in here at 803-0930. Larry, you're on WBEN. Hi. Hello. Hi, Larry. Yes, sir. You're on the air. Did you have a question for Charlie or Steve? Well, I was hoping to get a chance to talk with Charlie while I'm up here visiting. I live in Myrtle Beach now, but I'm from Buffalo. And my abuse, both priests are deceased. Uh, But I was raised in Buffalo Boys Town part of my teenage years. And... I'll say this, but Monsignor Kelleher, who ran Buffalo Boys Town, was probably one of the best people around. 
I don't think he had any knowledge of any of the abuse going on. And both of the priests happened to be at Boys Town, Father Hennessy and Father White. Uh, a very good friend of mine, who's now deceased, is a priest who was Father Stan Chwilinski. And he was at St. Joseph's Parish, and if it wasn't for him, I probably don't know what would have happened. But I explained everything to him, and his claim to me was just follow your instinct. You know, afford um, anything or do anything. And I was pretty much an orphan most of my life. So I lived at the child care center on Delaware Avenue, and then went to Buffalo Boys Town. And when this happened at Boys Town, I was told that bad things would happen if I ever opened my mouth. And back then, you'd have to realize, I've heard other people say it. If someone said that a priest was coming over, he was like, God. I mean, I know a friend of mine had his parents were having a priest over, and his mother was cleaning the house, ran to the butcher to get special food just for the priest to come. And I've talked with Mike Whalen on the phone a couple of times. It did meet him one time when I was up, because I come up every three to four months. And I'm hoping to meet with him later today and or sometime this week and have a talk with him and Charlie. Um, I'm going to, uh, Larry, uh, put you on hold here so you can continue to hear uh, some of these, uh, uh, what Steve has to say. Your, your initial thoughts, Steve, though. As soon as he said Boys Town, I knew he was going to say Father White, Father Hennessy. The thing about Boys Town is um, what that place was was for kids who were undisciplined uh, would go to Boys Town and, you know, maybe they were too unruly for their parents or they had done some things in their lives that, that basically caused them to go to this place. You know, I was in South Buffalo, so for me the threat was always you're going to Father Baker's. But Boys Town was a place like that. So you have these kids who are already sort of having a problem childhood. When you add abuse to that equation, I've spoken to three men from Boys Town who went to jail for killing people. And they were all abused by Bill White. I won't use the word father. That man was so evil. He didn't get and ask for a Boys Town assignment by coincidence. He asked for a Boys Town assignment for access. And that's a place that the Catholic Church manned with their priests to try to help boys. And now you take these boys who needed help, and instead they were raped. They were already on the path to being broken boys. And they did far more damage to those boys than they did to my clients who were straight-A student altar boys when they were broken by a priest. And so... The Boys Town cases are among the most horrific in western New York, and I, I certainly feel for him because that's a, that was a brutal place. Now, Larry, have you spoken with other people who went to the, the same places you did who were in contact with the same priests and have similar experiences? No, I have not. In fact, I've never told. I've been divorced twice. I've never even told any of my ex-wives about it. I just started talking about it in the last six months, two years since I spoke with Mike Whalen on the phone. Yeah, and then Larry, I um, this is Charlie. I, I um, Maybe we can take down your number. I'd be happy to get together with you. It'd be an honor to listen to your story. 
right. That's um, you know, for somebody who's in Larry's uh, shoes. What are their options moving forward if the person uh, who abused them in the past is dead? You might not think that you can do anything about it. I think your question is legal options. But so the legal option is the diocese can be sued for the negligent retention and supervision of Bill White and Hennessy, who they knew to be predators. But the more important option and the more critical option is that the, the people like Larry know that there is counseling available. The diocese will pay for it, even if you don't live in western New York. You can see a counselor down in your area. They will pay the bill. The counseling works. I recommend to anyone like this, you don't need to call a lawyer. You don't need to confess to your family. Go get the counseling. Do it on your own. When he mentioned the two divorces, a lot of times that, that, that is not an unusual uh, story for me to hear. And I always ask my clients, well, have you told any of your ex-wives? And the ones that have always get sort of a similar reaction. They, they think like, oh, yeah, now this all makes sense. The wives knew something was wrong, but they didn't know what during the marriage. So it's not unusual that people have gone through multiple divorces. Um, the story is so similar to, to some of the many stories that I have, have heard uh, throughout the last two years. You uh, kind of uh, talked about this a little while ago, and that is that people don't want to be the first maybe to come out uh, against a priest. But you, you hear Larry's call there. And he's, uh, he mentions a name that you immediately say, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, uh, people might think that they're the first, that they're, you know, this happened to them and them alone. But as it turns out, they're, they have a lot of company who may, maybe has the exact same experience. That's right. And we've told all of our clients, we went to Supreme Court and uh, made a motion and got an order that allows us to sue these cases anonymously. They are what you would refer to as a John Doe or Jane Doe case. So I can't come and discuss those cases with you and tell you that Father X has been accused by this other person and the name hasn't been released by the diocese yet. Nobody wants to be the first. That, to me, is the number one reason why people don't come forward. The number two reason, well, my mom is still alive, my dad is still alive, I couldn't do that to them. And they feel like their parents sent them into that parish. Their parents sent them into that sacristy. Go be an altar boy. You need that guidance. We're sending you to Boys Town so that you can get help. In in the betrayal that happens there, they don't want their parents to feel the guilt of that. But we are able, under a state Supreme Court order, we are able to keep their um, their identity anonymous. And so their parents, their family, never has to know. That's uh, maybe important for a lot of people to know. I only have a few minutes left here. I uh, want to focus on the diocese and everything that went down yesterday. And, Charlie, I uh, want to ask you maybe where you see things going from here. I think a lot of people liked the tone that they heard yesterday during that uh, news conference with the uh, new, uh, let's call him interim bishop, the apostolic administrator, Edward Scharfenberger. Yeah, it, where the things go from here is really going to be um, dependent you know, on on the new um, bishop here, it's it's an open book, you know, and we have an open mind in covering this, and we'll see how it kind of plays out. It depends on their actions. I do think there's a couple things you can expect. You can probably expect uh, bankruptcy coming. We have heard it could even come in the next few days. Uh, so, so that'll that'll be a, a big determining factor. And then I think the um, who becomes the next bishop is really the biggest question here, because we've seen even in the matter of you know a couple hours here, things can change. You know, when there's a different person at the top, the entire culture has a potential to suddenly change. So that the, the leadership at the top really does matter 
we've heard um, rumors that there could be perhaps a Franciscan priest um, from the area named the next bishop. There could be bishops from other dioceses, like Diocese of Erie, uh, other parts of the country. It's a somewhat mysterious process, although the the temporary administrator has a hand in deciding that. But um, I think that the good thing about all this and all this coverage and all of this, you know, there's been a lot of heartbreak, and it's been, you know, the community tearing itself apart in a lot of ways. I think the good thing about this is people are more, especially Catholics, are more informed now, and they're more aware, and they're not just letting them take care of it. You know, we'll just let the bo- the people in charge take care of things. Right. People are, are very much, you know, this is our church, and we've got to play a role. And I think that if, if there's any good to come of this, it's the, it's that idea that people are, are going to be more engaged than ever. I, I think, Steve, the one thing we can say for sure moving forward is that the move uh, of Bishop Richard Malone to resign doesn't end this story. It doesn't, uh, you know, people aren't going to stop asking questions or coming forward with their stories just because one person made a change. No, that's right. It doesn't end because Bishop Malone is leaving, but I think Bishop Malone's um, treating the truth like it was a movable object um, has caused more pain for the survivors than anything in the last uh, couple of years. And I think Bishop Scharfenberger seems to be committed to transparency and the truth and and committed to wrapping his arms around survivors. And so that won't undo everything that was done. That won't heal all the healing that needs to happen. But it is definitely a sea change, and it's definitely, I think, a step in the right direction. And I think just the fact that he's saying that he acknowledges the survivors and acknowledges the press and thanked them for uncovering the stories, we're, we're seeing a change here that I think could help in that healing process. So I think it is a new day. All right. Um, a lot of good stuff over the last uh, few hours. Charlie Specht, Steve Boyd, uh, attorney. And Charlie, of course, you can see a, a lot of his work, uh, Channel 7, WKBW.com, uh, for some of the stuff he's put out over the past couple of days on what's been a big change um, that a lot of people have been anticipating for a matter of weeks, maybe months, or maybe longer than that for some time with the resignation of Buffalo Bishop Richard Malone. The new person in charge, Apostolic Administrator Edward Scharfenberger. And, of course, if you missed that introductory news conference, you can hear that over at WBEN.com in its entirety. Hey, uh, guys, thank you both for uh, joining us throughout the morning uh, today. I know uh, we've kept you here maybe a little longer than we initially said, but hey, uh, <laughs> glad we could uh, you know steal you and keep you in here. Um, but for if you missed any of that conversation again, wben.com is the place to go. I'm Brian Mazurowski. Fun to uh, sit with you. WBEN News Time is 11:55. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. See T-Mobile.com. 